Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. And I've got a returning guest today. Wasia Kamon. And Wasia is here because a lot has happened since we last spoke. The last time we recorded something was back at the end of uh, 2022 when Wasia sat here in a Christmas jumper with a lovely Christmas background. And then we released the episode in January, which was great timing. But uh, there's been a change of company, a change of industry, a realization of the two skills that really matter. If you're looking for that next job and that step on, and not only a change of company, but a promotion within that company in the first three months, which is all pretty impressive. And there's a few other fantastic things happened in Wasir's life at the same time. So we're going to catch up on that. We're going to learn some lessons today. Wasir, hello, and welcome back to the Grow CFO Show. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me again. Pleasure to be here. So. Remind us, Rasia, go back nearly 12 months. Where okay. were you working? So where I was 12 months ago, I was VP of Finance and Accounting at a chemical manufacturing in the Atlanta area. I was starting my LinkedIn journey as a content creator and really started to build those skills of executive level decision making. And you changed jobs. So tell yes, me about I that. Did. I did. So uh, April 2023, I joined a not-for-profit lending institution called the Low Income Investment Fund, where we lend money to mostly affordable housing and early care and education facilities. I started as VP controller, and then within three months was promoted to VP of finance and corporate controller. That is a fantastic story, but hang on a second. You left the chemical industry. Yes. And went into a lending company. So complete change of industry. Mm-hmm. You went from a commercial organization into a not-for-profit. Complete change again. What previous experience did you have in either of those two? Well, accounting and finance. <laughs> yeah, so really not at all. <laughs> so, really as a foundation. At the time, I was, I've been a board member on a not-for-profit organization. But I wasn't in the operations, right? We have the board meeting with the CEO coming to present. And that was pretty much it. I was never involved in the day-to-day accounting operations of a not-for-profit, not at all in the lending industry. So that's a complete change from what I was used to because I started in corporate accounting. So I went from staff accountant to controller. I dabbed into FB&A at a um, law pharmaceutical company. And so being outside of the manufacturing side and the commercial side has been a great learning experience because I do believe in stretching yourself because Mm. after 15 years of doing the same thing, I was like, okay, I can go to another manufacturing or tech company, but is it really going to stretch me and allow me to understand more of what's out there? And plus, I really like the mission of the company. And so I was like, okay, working for a mission-driven organization was really something I was really looking forward to, even though the experience of the not-for-profit itself was quite limited. Okay, brilliant. So you've given yourself 
the sort of organization you really want to work for, you've given yourself a nice challenge in having to learn quite a lot. But take yourself back to that process of actually getting the job. Now, there must have been people applying for that position that mm-hmm. had not-for-profit experience, that had a background in the lending industry. What did you do to overcome that challenge of lack of experience to actually land the job? It started way before I even wanted to change. And that's something I like to encourage my mentees and others to do. It start with personal branding and understanding your value. So once you understand that you have your offline expertise needs to be reflected online, you're a rock star at work, but the whole world also needs to know what your skill set is, just in case somebody Googles you on LinkedIn you before working with you. Why would I take you seriously? To me, it starts first with personal branding and making sure that you are in sync, just in case, so that opportunities such like this can come and find you. Or when you go for them, it's easier to position yourself. So when you looked at my LinkedIn profile, when you looked at my online presence, you understand that, yes, I'm good in accounting and FBNA. You will also understand in my interactions that I'm really into mentorship and growing teams. And so then another piece of that was starting to network. So I went to an AICPA summit. It was by invitation only. And I was invited because of a post I made on LinkedIn. And there I was able to engage with Fortune 1000 leaders, finance leaders, VPs at big organizations here in the U.S. and globally. And so I started making connections. When I was like, okay, I probably need to make a change. I was able to call and say, hey, help me. I don't know. And that's how I ended up meeting someone, meeting someone. A recruiter called me, went through an interview process and got the job. So that's the whole thing that happened before I got. I'm seeing in practice there exactly what we teach on the future CFO program and grow CFO. It's a nine module program. Module four is all about your personal brand. Normally it's Andrew Waters, who's from recruitment agency Xander that runs module four. And then I run module five, which is all about networking, which is all about to start off with making those connections on LinkedIn and using them and leveraging them. Yeah, that is just absolutely fantastic to see those things used in practice. Mm. You're becoming a bit of a rock star on LinkedIn. <laughs> Trying. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about what you're up to on LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, I started a couple months ago, what's called beyondcertifications.com. After I went on the Wall Street Journal I got so much feedback because I was essentially saying that when you're in finance and accounting, you cannot limit yourself at developing your technical skills. You really have to go beyond your certifications and credentials, build all those other human or soft skills, however you want to call them, in order to thrive and really enjoy the career you're working so hard to be in. And so that's my main focus right now is definitely mentoring more and spreading the word. I know a lot of people are into AI and what is AI going to do and how AI is going maybe to change people, professionals, move them out of the way. But something I think we should keep in mind is technology or AI will always be making suggestions. The decisions will be made by human beings. 
and you want to be that human being, you want to have those skills to make the right impact as well. So that has been my focus this year. And I think that's right. I mean, it's funny, we've just literally, before we record this podcast, we've just run a webinar on automation, particularly around month end and so on. And uh, Ollie Deacon, who was running part of it, opened with a slide that was saying something like nine out of 10 finance jobs are going to disappear in the next 10 years. That was the shock statement. But then Ollie went on to say, actually, we'll probably employ just as many people in finance. Just the jobs are going to be different. So I think we've got to be aware that with all the talk of Power BI, Copilot, Python for Excel, just AI, ChatGPT, all of those things, they're going to turn our world upside down. We're going to have to cope with them, but we're all still going to have jobs afterwards. And it's going to be people skills. That are important. Oh, yes. Whenever there's a new technology, I was one of the first people to go on chat GPT. Okay, let me see. It's in my feed. Whether you want it or not, you're on LinkedIn, you're seeing AI. <laughs> I feel like it's all over the place. Yeah. But thing, seeing things like how it's passing the CMA exam. I've read a couple articles that McKinsey had put on their blog where they were talking about how AI and different technology are helping auditors saying, okay, don't focus on this area, focus on that area. So it's saving time mm-hmm. by analyzing even those very technical aspects of our jobs. It's, it's right now that we have to think in terms of all those other skills, the business acumen, the strategic thinking, the communication, the cross-functional collaborations, the personal branding, all these things matters now and will matter even more in the near future. Absolutely. Now, you just threw away a little comment there in passing. You mentioned the Wall Street Journal. I had an article in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> you can't just drop that into the conversation and not tell us more. Back in August, since I'm a Wall Street Journal subscriber, when you read the little feed, they send you the newsletter. They had a section where they said, we're looking for stories about people's biggest mistakes in their career. And so I responded, and I think I probably sent like two pages worth, but I went on and on and on to say that being in accounting and finance, when I started my career, I thought that the key and what you taught in school is go for your CPA, have those credentials, going to be so great in life. Okay, so I did. I went for the CPA and then I stalled in my career. The full thing was not published, but... The story was I was passed over for promotions multiple times. I didn't know how to negotiate. I didn't know how to ask for more. I didn't know how to position myself as a leader. I didn't know how to lead people. There was more than just what is covered on the CPA. How do you hire? How do you fire? How do you promote? How do you coach your employees? How do you manage up? How do you manage down? All these other skills, in addition to, do you understand the business, the story behind the numbers? Are you able to communicate? All these questions are not covered in those certifications. But as you grow in the hierarchy, you realize these are the very things you need. I think the quote I left there was, yes, credentials can open the door, but it's really your soft skills that help you make it to the elevator and really accelerate your career. How do you go about learning those soft skills? How have you managed to do that in practice? You're describing they're being passed over for promotion. So Mm -hmm. clearly, 
there's been a step change from the wasir that was passed over from promotion to the wasir who manages to get invited to a conference through being on LinkedIn, get herself in the Wall Street Journal, get a job she never really even applied for in an industry she'd never worked in before, and get promoted immediately once she's got there. Something somewhere changed. What's that little bit of magic dust that gets you into these soft skills? It was really that realization of being stuck. It was very hard because that feeling of, you know, you can do more. You know, you can make a greater impact, earn more, but you feel stuck because you don't have that guidance. And so to me, starting developing those soft skills, start with that awareness, knowing that you need to invest in networking, in emotional intelligence, like what are all these skills that would get you to the next stage? For me, what I did is a lot of research. I worked with a coach. I also studied. I sat down and literally was thinking, okay, what makes the top CFOs the top CFOs? Like, what does it take for people in our field to grow, to accelerate their career and feel like they're thriving? Like, what's it about them? I connected with some and started to see a pattern. And that pattern started with not the technical skills. It was not the technical skills. It was the ability to relate, to communicate, not only their ideas, but also their values. And so that was the main turning points for me. My mindset shifted. I went from thinking that I work hard and my work will speak for myself to I work hard and make sure my work have an impact and that the right people know about it. So it changed the way I invested my energy, the way I connected, the way I communicated, the type of books I read, the type of intentions I set for myself. It really changed how I view my careers and it really accelerated it from that point. And it certainly worked. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I'm just looking behind you. There's a quote on your bookshelf behind you. Tell me more about that. Yes. Uh, The quote is, someone has to be the best. Why not you? That's something I had for years. But really, when I was going through that realization, I realized that a lot of time, limiting beliefs are like the number one reason we get stuck. Like if I keep thinking that, for example, because I'm a woman, I can only do so much or because I'm black, I can only achieve certain things. If I think that, okay, maybe I'm not ready for this and I start neglecting or rejecting myself without even applying for certain opportunities or without even showing up, I need that reminder for myself so that when imposter syndrome wants to come in or any of these limiting beliefs want to show up, I'm like, yes, someone has to be the best one on me. It would be me. I don't care. I don't care what the history is. I don't care what the statistics said. But if I know that if I set my mind on something, yes, it's possible. I was going to ask you about imposter syndrome, actually. That was the first thing that came out of, into my mind when you started oh. talking about limiting beliefs and saying, I'm a woman, I'm black, can't do this, hang on, but I am doing this. Does imposter syndrome come along and hit you personally? Every now and then, I think it always does, but I think I've learned to identify it before it started doing devastating effect. So Mm -hmm. I've learned that, okay, if you have that thought of, oh, maybe you're not ready for it. Okay, hold on. I'm here for a reason. I got this. (laughs) Go back. 
get thee behind me. <laughs> mm. I've just learned to identify it. So the more you, you know, you read, like if it's something that I will say somebody is struggling with, start reading more about it and develop your own system to tackle it. Because again, it's not that problems don't happen. You just have to learn to have system for solutions. It reminds me of a Jim Rohn quote that said, don't wish it was easier. Wish you had more wisdom or more tools. So that's really how I work. <laughs> I can say yeah. navigate imposter syndrome. I have a literal reminder before I sit on my desk. Someone has to be the best. Why not you? I have a lot of other quotes here, but that's yeah. one of my. I love that quote. But I suppose there's a really practical part of what you just said there. You stepped into a new industry and a different type of commercial organization and needing to learn an awful lot about both of those. How did you actually go about learning the accounting requirements of a nonprofit, learning how the finances of a, a lending organization work? Now, you must have felt out of your depth on day one. How did you in practice sort that out? Yes. So for me, I came up with my own onboarding checklist. And I think I shared one on LinkedIn not too long ago for overall organization, but I literally have an onboarding system. And so what I do is I start with the original job description, and then I identify what are the key area. Once you start the key point of contacts, the main, and then literally every week, I need to learn this. I need to subscribe to this. I signed up for the AICPA had an NFP for profit certificate. I signed up for it. I started making time for it. But I've learned that you have to onboard yourself. Unfortunately, when you're not in public accounting, when you're in FBNA or other role, I feel like the onboarding system is not there. It almost sounds like, okay, welcome in. Here's your badge. Here's where you sit. Here's your computer. See you. There is no like, okay, the first month you need to learn this. The second month you should learn this. The third month you should learn this. You have to do it on yourself. You have to bring yourself up to speed faster, especially when you start at an organization on an executive level. Like nobody's going to come here and train you and say, oh, now you move to this. You really have to own that process. So I went in with that mindset. I went in ready, ready to onboard myself, ready to make the connections, ready to learn. OK, this is how my plan is going to be to learn the technical side. This is what my plan will be to learn the company way of doing things. So I went in with a game plan. So it worked out. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. Should have you on board on the future CFO program. I teach a module right at the end. The final module is your first hundred days as CFO. And ah. we're talking about how do you onboard yourself into this? And I think one of the things that I point out is look, your first 10 days of this hundred days is going to be your induction. Chances are, if HR are in charge of the induction, will be, here's your laptop, here's how to use it, yes. here's how we submit expenses, here's how we buy stuff, give us your details so we can pay you at the end of the month, bye-bye. Yep. Whereas yes. you should definitely have a checklist of, here's all the things that I want to learn as part mm -hmm. of this induction. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like you've got that sorted. I must go and have a look at your LinkedIn posts on that. I think I missed it. <laughs> And I'm glad you have it in your program at the CFO level. I just wish more companies would do it for every position, accelerate that learning, because I feel like it, it is a gap really at every level. Yeah, it is. Whichever level you go and take a job at, 
the first thing you should be asking yourself is, what do I need to learn in order to do this job properly? Yes. And I also feel that if you're going into a new job where your list of things you need to learn is very small, you've possibly moved into the wrong job. Because I think most of what motivates reasonably bright, intelligent people is that need to establish mastery. And if you know it all before you arrive, where's the challenge? Yeah. Great point. Wasya, you have made a fantastic impact. That's what's happened in literally 10 months since we last spoke. Project forward to the next (laughs) 12 months. What's next on the radar? Oh, what's next on the radar? I cannot say, but greater things. (laughs) Greater things. Yes, especially with beyondcertifications.com, where I really want to make sure people are equipped and understand. So there'll be a lot of more speaking, engagement and mentoring and making sure that, you know, the word is spread. Because I feel like we are so focused on AI and how to use it that we forget that there are certain skills that will still be needed and that we need to understand now. I get reached out a lot by people asking me, okay, how did you do this? Like you did this in like eight months or 10 months or 12 months. Like I met you last year. You were at 10,000 followers. Now you're 21,000. Like what's going on? But I think it's, like I said, awareness and having your own vision and making sure you're surrounded with the right people the right community to move forward. That, to me, I've really accelerated my career. Especially at first, I was like, I heard about coaching. I was like, coaching, I don't know. Is people trying to make money? It must not be effective. Or networking, really? I don't know. But once I switched my mindset, I mean, you can see, I went like, (laughs) it really changed. But having the right community, the right people rooting for you, having access to the right resources, just having a group that can say, hey, have you thought about this? Yeah. Just to elevate your perspective. It's huge. When we talk about the right people, the right community, how would you describe the typical person in your community? I read a book by Janine Brown called Unstuck Unstoppable. It's right there. (laughs) Yeah. And in that book, she talked about having a personal board of director. You have your own personal board of directors. That's not your regular community. Like with Grow CFO, you guys have a community with mentorship and different programs and members can access different things. That, That is one aspect. There is the other aspect that having a personal board of directors. So she recommended that the people on your personal board of directors have to be diverse. And that's in age, gender, years of experience, personality. It's a group of people that don't necessarily have to know each other, but they get to help you and you get to help them as well. So in my personal board of directors, I have Dave DeFridas. He's a retired CFO from Caterpillar. I have CFO friends. I have an executive coach. Like I have CEO of the company. So I have a diverse group of people. The one thing they all have in common is that they're genuinely interested in my success, in me growing. And so they're open to advice. When I ask for feedback, for example, Dave is a great public speaker. 
And of course, retired CFOs, I'm like, Dave, uh, what do you think of this presentation? <laughs> so someone I can go to for that. And also, I can also help because he can call me as well and say, hey, what do you think I'm doing this right or wrong? So it's mutually beneficial relationship. But it's that idea that your personal board of directors have to be as diverse as possible. Again, ethnicities, age, all that, they have to be diverse. Otherwise, you're not enriching yourself. If everyone in your personal board director looks like you or think like you, like nobody's able to say, hey, what's that? Like I did a keynote last month at the Profit Bus conference by Pace, and I did my original slide and I sent it to Kelly. She's part of my group. And she said, this is great, Wasia. It doesn't look like a keynote. It looks like a workshop. I was like, ouch, my ego. I spent time with this. But her feedback was right. And I changed it and it went great. We got great feedback afterwards. But it's just an example of how you can tap into that community. And yeah. to me, it's not just one, but making sure you have that personal board of directors. And yes, definitely be a part of the community that grows CFO. If that's where you're going, like you want to be with like-minded people going that way as well and get that feedback. But on the personal level, to me, you really have to invest in those micro communities, if I can say. That is a fantastic idea. And I don't know, I've always had a a board, but some of the people don't necessarily even exist the board has been in my brain Ah, (laughs) one of the people on the board is my dad but if he suddenly appeared these days and he'd be over 100 in reality Mm -hmm. so but the, the thought that goes through my mind would be okay i'm thinking about this what would he say about it oh wow voice raising my head my huh? board director also passed away, but he still yeah. I still consider him as part of my board. Yes. Yeah. But going going back to that avatar idea, we've talked about that board and being diverse and so on. The people that you're looking to help, Wasia, is there a particular avatar for those people who would be in your community that you would be trying to lead on and mentor and teach? To me, it's the people that have that awareness that, again, certifications and credentials are not enough to thrive. Because I think once you understand it, you will receive advice and guidance very differently. Because that's what made the difference for me. And that's why I'm trying to make sure more people understand that. Because once you you realize, okay, I'm going to make sure I understand, for example, technical accounting or scenario modeling, Excel, FBNA or budgeting. Once you realize that, yes, you need that expertise, it's the foundation. Now let's build on top of it. Because just knowing this can only take you so much, especially if you're ambitious and want to grow further in your career. Even for individual contributors, because I have people that say, I don't want to manage people. I just want to come in and do my work. They also have to learn how to stay visible, how to drive an impact and make sure they're paid well for what they do. And so it's always that to me, it's really that awareness that the foundation of it all. I've got no problem with somebody saying, I don't want to manage people. I look back and think that. I've had some great managers over time, 
and I've also had some fairly poor ones. And I've seen two sets of motivation. There's the great manager who's actually really motivated to help, advise, mentor. And then there's the, the poorer manager who thinks, oh, if I want to get to the next level, I have to manage people. And okay. therefore, it's just a numbers game. Okay. For me, there was a point in my career where I didn't want to manage people. Yeah. And that was when I had two kids under the age of two. <laughs> in terms of management, that's a full <laughs> portfolio. <laughs> yes. That's what happened. So I went from being a people manager to being an individual contributor for yeah. about almost four years because I was like, I have two small kids. I was working on my MBA. I want the least, least (laughs) interruptions and things like that. That's why I say I understand when people say that, because at some point I was feeling like, okay, it's it's a bit much because management is tough. And you have, like you said, a great manager. You have to invest in your employees. Once you become a people manager, it's not just about you anymore. You have to Mm -hmm. help them grow, you know, in their role and help them for the roles they're not even in yet. And so I understand. It's just that at some point too, I was like, okay, I have like these two people, hard, one is sick, I can't sleep at night. Okay. I may not be the best manager at that time. So. But managing small children can be a great way of learning some incredible people skills. How do you get those two to do things that they do not want to do voluntarily without having a strop. Now, there's a talent. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'm learning it all over again as a granddad. And actually, as we (laughs) this, I've got a three-year-old running around in the background because uh, mummy is about to produce his little brother. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Yes, and you're probably spoiling them, and you have to know the limit. Okay, do I spoil more? Do I stop? Now they're speaking back. What's up with that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but they're so yeah. cute. <laughs> yeah. But some of the same ways of motivating people, influencing behavior, mm-hmm. you can see what works with those little ones and yes. apply it back in the office. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I am conscious that we could go on chatting all day about this. It's yes. been a fantastic conversation. Just wishing you all the best for whatever's going to happen in those next 12 months. And I know that you've got some great plans and you don't want to tell me too much about them at the moment. I'm sure there's going to be a third appearance on the Grow CFO show. Oh, yes. Let's do that. (laughs) Thank you for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO show. Thank you so much, Kevin. Always a pleasure to be here. 